So thanks guys. Can everybody hear me first off? Yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> I'm, I was really excited before Charles put me under time pressure um, about preaching this morning because I can actually see you guys. You know, uh, for weeks I've been preaching into this thing. Uh, and you know, it doesn't frown, it doesn't laugh, it doesn't grin, it doesn't giggle. So I'm giving you permission to frown, to laugh, to giggle, uh, whatever this morning, because that, uh, that helps me know I'm connecting with you. So this morning, I'm mainly in Romans, um, but I'm starting in 2 Corinthians, and what I felt God led me to was this, uh, this challenge of law-keeping and living by the Spirit. And, and so I want to speak into that. Uh, and I'm praying that the, the pegs, the stakes that were spoken about earlier, uh, will be pulled out in your minds and your hearts and the, um, the sails of the Holy Spirit, the new sails of this tall ship, uh, that they will be filled with the wind of the Spirit for you this morning. So I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 3 from verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not the, of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And that's my focus this morning. So the letter that he's speaking about here is the Old Testament law uh, and uh, the spirit that he's speaking about is the Holy Spirit uh, and we're called to live by the spirit to live in the presence of the spirit and um, we often say good things we say that the, the word and the spirit should work together yeah? that when we're following the spirit we shouldn't lose sight of the word or um, when we're reading the word, we, we shouldn't lose sight of the spirit. And these are good things that we say. Because Paul is not talking about the Bible in its fullness when he says the letter kills. He's talking about the Old Testament law. And this reflects his other warnings. Uh, and I'm going to focus on Romans 7 and 8 this morning. Uh, where... He talks about law-keeping and living by the Spirit. And Peter says, Paul is difficult to understand. Uh, and so some of the passages I'm talking about this morning are, are ones where some of our theologians disagree with each other. So from uh, chapter 7 and verse 14 onwards, there's a particular challenge uh, Sort of Paul is saying, oh, woe is me. <laughs> you know, I tried to do this thing and yet I end up doing the other. Um, it's a popular passage. Uh, and some feel that this is describing Paul's life before salvation. Uh, some feel that it was uh, describing Paul's life having been saved, his struggles um, with sin. Uh, but a more likely picture is Paul is identifying with Israel. He's identifying with the nation of Israel that were called into law-keeping, 
and failed and then Jesus came. So if I offend you in any way this morning, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) I really am. But um, we have to deal with this thing of law keeping in the church. And, uh, and if one of, or two of you are really wondering what on earth I'm smoking, then I've done my job. Um, what I want you to do is I want to open your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand truth. And I'm going to set before you truth. And you may not have seen this before, or you may have been blown off course by some of the teachings of the church. And um, law-keeping was a contentious issue in Paul's day. That's why he had to write to the church in Rome about it. Because so much of the church was caught up in, um, well, if you're going to follow the Jewish God, you must follow the Jewish religion. You must follow the law. Uh, And Paul was very clear that that's not what he believed. So I want to make two opening statements. The first is the law is good. And the second is the law does not apply to me and maybe it doesn't apply to you either. So I'm going to unpack those two statements for you. The first, the law is good. And I'm in Romans 7, as I said, and verse 12. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy righteous and good. So Paul believes that the law is of God and that it's good. So why, why is he arguing about the letter kills and the spirit gives life? Well, if we, we have to understand what is the law good for? So if the law is good, what is its purpose? And in Romans, if we go back a bit, Romans 7 and verse 7, He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had had not said, you shall not covet. So he's saying that the law has purpose, that the law is good, and the law shows us our sin. Uh, coveting is a funny word. Um, I'm from England and the English language is full of funny words. Uh, Afrikaans, I think, is a bit more direct than, than English. Um, so this funny word means that I desire something that's not mine. It's somebody else's. I covet. I may covet, uh, let's say, George's house. He's got a nice house. So I covet uh, George's, George's house. Or I may covet... Uh, Charles Land Rover he's got a nice Land Rover I used to have a Land Rover now I have a Suzuki and so I might cover Charles um, Charles' car or maybe it's a job you're in in a career path and there's somebody in your way and you cover their job you want their job you want them out of the way Um, maybe it's somebody's wife yeah you actually want that person. It's not you want a wife like her, you want that person, but she's already married. Uh, you're in sin. 
So the law is from God and it shows us how sinful we are, how helpless we are and how in need of God we are. The law was given for our benefit. But rather than stopping us from sinning, sin increased under the law. So before the the law there was sin, but because we were faced with the law, um, sin increased. It ceases in verse 11, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceiving me, and through the commandment put me to death. So I'm just dropping out of Romans for a minute and I'm going to ask you a question. Why did God put two trees in the Garden of Eden? He put two trees in the Garden of Eden and he said, don't touch that one, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Why, why did he do that? I mean, if he loves us, surely the world would don't put that tree in the garden then. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, just, it's, it's going to trip us up, isn't it? Yeah, because <laughs> we're like, I don't know about you, but um, you, know, you see, you see a, a sign, don't walk on the grass, what do you want to do? Do you want to walk on the grass? Because who decided that that grass couldn't be walked on? That's what I want to know. So, God knows who we are. And he knows what we need. And we needed a tree to show us who we are. Because we don't necessarily know who we are. So, it shows us. It's like he gives us a mirror. So we can really see who we are. And um, the same is true of the law. The tree was a mirror, the law is a mirror. It shows us who we are. If we go back to Genesis 4 and verse 7, if you do what is right, if, if you do what is right, you will not be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So here's the door. And sin is crouching. He's ambushing. He wants to ambush you. He wants to take control. He wants to sneak up on you and jump on you. That's what sin wants to do. And, and you'll see that sin is described as a, as a force or a person. You know? it's not, sin is not something we do. Sin is first outside of us. But it wants to entrap us. It wants to draw us in. And the law is there so we can see sin. Because it says, boom, 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 these things are sin. Do not murder. Yeah, I mean, that's the obvious one, isn't it? Do not covet. Well, we need maybe that explained to us. But it's to show us, the law shows us who we are. Shows us that we're sinful. But then I said, the law doesn't apply to me. And maybe not to you. And what on earth am I smoking? This statement is more contentious than my first one because there are many books and materials and churches keen to teach us that law-keeping is part of the Christian life. And I want to say to you it isn't. Because James says in James chapter 2 and verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So we can't just say, okay, well, there was the Ten Commandments, but we're only going to bring eight of them into uh, the New Testament. Or, yeah, we're not going to tithe of our spices anymore, because they just sit in a cupboard, it's really awkward, you know, 
to, to tip them out. So we'll just tithe our salaries or our profit from our business. No, if you're going to try and follow the law, you have to follow the whole law because you're relying on your own righteousness. So if we go back to Romans 7, Paul gives us an illustration there that helps us with this. And I'm going to need some help with this illustration. So I need two guys and a girl, please, to come and stand up front with me. Um, Two guys and a girl. Anyone? Eno, thank you. Uh, Makwai, can you join us as well? And Ryan. Okay. So I'm going to read this first and then I'm going to get them to act it out for me. So do you, this is um, Romans 7 and verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband, and as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay, so... For those of you who don't know, these two are married. Okay. For the purpose of my illustration, you know, is the law. Okay. Macquay. Macquay is Macquay. You can stand here. Uh, sorry. Ryan, I need you this side. So this is the law, and this is Macquay, and they are married. Yeah. They are. They are husband and wife, and we believe that husband and wife—it's a—it's a permanent thing until death do us part. Yeah, but that's the key: death until death do us part. So um, these guys are happily married, walking around doing their stuff, and then Macquay sees Jesus. Now, I know he doesn't really look like Jesus, but <laughs> at least he's got a beard, you know, and, and he's taller than you know, so he must be Jesus. Okay. So she sees Jesus and she looks at him and you need to fall in love, sorry. She falls in love (laughs) with Jesus and she hears that to love Jesus she must die. Yeah, baptism illustrates this. We go down into the water, we drown and we're brought up again in life. So if you can just kneel on the floor, pretend you're dead or something. Yeah, that's right. Now, now you're no longer married because she's dead, so you can go over there. And Ryan, can you lift her up? So Jesus lifts her up into life. She's now married to Jesus. The law, he's still here. Yeah? The law is here with us. But he's not married to Macquay because Macquay is married to Jesus. So the law floats around doing his own thing, but he has no authority over Macquay anymore. Okay, thank you guys. All right. Now I'm hoping that that helps you with a very difficult passage of scripture. So verse 4 then, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For then we were in the realm of the flesh, 
the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Okay? This is written in the Bible, yeah? You've got that. Now, I know some of you are looking at me as if I'm um, making this up. <laughs> but it's in the Bible. And because it's in the Bible, we're called to, to believe it. So as a non-believer, you're married to the law. As a churchgoer who's never given his heart or her heart to Jesus, you're married to the law. As a, a believer in another religious system, like a Hindu or a Muslim, you're married to the law. We were bound to the law. It was an arranged marriage, I have to say. I mean, some people who are married to the law have never met him. It's a bit like some of our friends at Home Affairs who can arrange for the Malawians to come into South Africa because they've married a South African they've never met. <laughs> anyway. Um, so having died and now being born again, lived again, we're free to marry Jesus. We're free to be his bride. The Bible calls us his bride. Our ex-husband has no authority over us anymore. We are dead to him. So as a born-again believer in Jesus, the Old Testament law, as given by Moses and codified in the Old Testament scriptures, no longer applies to us. If you are born again here today, this morning, the law no longer applies to you. It has been fulfilled in Jesus. I'm just going to skip another illustration for the sake of time. For the church, us, to bring in the kingdom of God, we need to break the hold that law-keeping has over us. Yeah? Many, many of us are bound by this law-keeping. And we can't live by the Spirit if we're living according to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't take it away. Eno still lives. Eno still walks around. He has his being. He's busy with other people. Other people other than Macquarie. Um, in Matthew 5 and verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what he's saying is, I'm not killing off the law. It's not a, a new system. In the new covenant there now is no law. No, the law is still there, but it doesn't apply to those that have come into relationship with Jesus. We're now part of the new covenant. The old covenant still exists. So a quick example, me and my brother, we look alike. We sound alike. We even used to confuse our own mother as to which one we were on the phone. But I am not subject to the law because I'm born again, spirit-filled, baptised. My brother hasn't accepted Jesus. He's still subject to the law. He doesn't know he's a sinner. So he needs the law to show him he's a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. That's why I accepted Jesus. And so the law doesn't apply to me anymore. But my brother, bless him, Lord, bless him, he's still subject to the law. Romans 13 and verse 8. 
let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So in coming to know Jesus, because he loves us, we begin to love others. And in doing that, we are also fulfilling the law. The law is being fulfilled among us. Galatians 5 and verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. So it's love. So the Old Testament law was a book, was a list. The New Testament law is love, is the spirit. So there's a, there's a new law. Yeah, we had this old law, now there's a new law. And it was prophesied back in Jeremiah, uh, in chapter 31 and verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. Then Jesus spoke about it. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. But remember when Jesus spoke that, the law was yet to be fulfilled. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. So at the point he speaks this, the full law. Everybody was subject to the full law. Everybody's lives were impacted by the full law. But he's signalling forward. He's saying, I'm busy with a new plan. And this plan is about love. This plan is about you loving me, me loving you, you loving your neighbour. And here we are, if we jump forward to Romans 8, it's set out there. So the Old Testament law was a law of words, of letters, a contract, an agreement, a covenant, a set of rules. The new covenant is about relationship with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, the new law, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So the law was fulfilled in Jesus on the cross but it's also fulfilled in our accepting the work of Jesus on the cross and asking the Holy Spirit into our lives the Old Testament law was to show you your sin and led to death the New Testament has an uncodified law you can't find a complete list of what, what the Christian is supposed to do in the New Testament 
the law is a life-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, in sport, there's rules, yeah? They have a book. If you play cricket or soccer or rugby or whatever, there's a book somewhere with all the rules listed in it. Um, But when you watch a game, and let's talk about soccer for a minute, um, there's a referee and there's linesmen. Do they stop the match to read the book when they think somebody's defaulted? You know, if there's a, a, a tackle, what happens? You know, he, he looks, and was that a fair tackle or was that a foul? And he decides and he brings out the red or the yellow card. He hasn't consulted the rules because the rules are written in his heart. Because he's passionate about the game. The reason he is refereeing a soccer match is because he loves soccer. It's not, um, you know, his day job, if you like. It might also be that, and praise God if it is. My day, day job is uh, preaching in the church. So, yeah, that's all good for me. So, they love the sport. Therefore, they know the rules. They know what, what, what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done. And so they don't have to consult the rule book They just know, they just know. They pull the card out of their pocket. And most of the time they're right. For the love of the game, SABC Sport calls it. But for us, it's Jesus that's our passion. Yeah? It's Jesus that uh, we are connected with. It's uh, Jesus that lives within us by his spirit. We walk by the spirit. We walk in love. So this new law no longer points out our sin but it leads us in repentance to a new life. We walk by the Spirit. But sin is a person as well. According to the Old Testament, the passages I read read earlier. Sin is also, so we've got the law wandering around, you know, sorry, you know, uh, and then we've got sin wandering around as well, uh, trying to break in. So if the law in the Old Testament said do not sin how do we not sin in the New Testament? Because we're not following the law anymore. So I want to look at Romans 8 and verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have the mindset on what the spirit desires. Now if we remember Genesis 4 and 7 sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. So in Romans 8 we've got the spirit desires you. And in Genesis 4 we've got sin desires you. You see the similarity there. So we were born in a battle. Sin is fighting for us. The law is fighting for us. The spirit is fighting for us. If we live by the spirit, we live secure in the love of God. Um, Romans 8 and 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So, 
So what am I saying here? I'm saying the law was good. The law is good for non-believers. The purpose of the law is to show people who do not believe in Jesus their sin. People like my brother. For him to come to know Jesus, he needs to understand um, his sin. And Jesus introduced this idea of this new law, this new way of relating to God that was coming on his death. And then Paul sets out in Romans what that looks like. And he says, no longer are we following the law but we are living by the Spirit. We're following the Spirit. And so, what I want to do this morning, and I'm going to wrap up here um, because of time, I want to challenge us. Where is our heart in this? So, you know, I, I am a parent and a husband and I disciple people. What do I say to them when I disciple them? Do I say, read your Bible, pray every day, go to church, don't sin? Is that my mantra? Or maybe I say to them, spend time with the Holy Spirit. Spend time in worship. Spend time in his presence. And yes, that's going to include reading your Bible and praying, because that's a natural part of connecting with God. And then you will not sin, or you will sin less, because you are empowered by this walk with the Spirit. And you see sin coming. And you see the law coming. And you say, ah, no. No, that's not what God has asked of me. And so I want to pray, us to pray. And if you have been taught that you have to keep the Ten Commandments or you have to keep the law as part of your Christian walk, first thing you need to do is forgive whoever your teacher was. But the second thing you have to do is to step out from under that that barrier to you connecting truly with God. Yeah? You need to pull that stake out of the ground. Rip those old sails off of the ship and allow God to fill your new sails with his Holy Spirit. Maybe you've taught... um, you know, that there are things that Christians have to do. Uh, there are things Christians get to do, can do, enjoy doing. Yes? Including reading your Bible, going to church, praying, what have you. But to make that a law goes against everything that Jesus taught and Paul taught in the New Testament. So let's stand. And just spend a moment um, connecting with God and reviewing what I've said uh, and what has, what has he pointed out to you. Are you caught up in, in the realm of the flesh? And I really didn't get time to go into that. But, but is sin your master? Or is the law your master or have you connected to the Holy Spirit are you his and he is yours do you enjoy spending time with him is that a, are you passionate about living out 
your walk with God? Or do you, does sin cloud that? Does the law cloud that? Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your now word about stakes and about sails on ships. And we thank you for your forever word about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart. And we pray, Lord, that you, we, we surrender to your will this morning, Lord. We surrender to your spirit. And we let go of the musts and the shoulds and the uh, you must do this and you must do that and you mustn't do the other and you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that. And we say, lead us. Show us what you love and what you hate that we might follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been troubled by anything that I've said this morning, you're welcome to talk to me afterwards. If uh, you want to be prayed for uh, because you feel, actually I can't break free on my own, I'm going to just ask some of the fire team to hang around at the front um, and come and just know God loves you for you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. The Spirit desires you. But you are in a battle because sin desires you and the law's wandering around trying to trap you as well. Thank you.